This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking seriously snazzy in scarlet, is Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. And sitting warmly wrapped up in orange in Cambridgeshire, we have Thordis, Maria, Sophia, Fredrickson. And you've got a smile on you, girl, today that would warm the cockles of anybody's heart, I'll tell you. <laughs> well, I've been for a very refreshing dog walk, had a takeaway coffee, I'm caffeined up and ready to go for a plant-filled chat with none other than the plant doctor. He's back, our Get Gardening co-conspirator, Ian Roof, uh, certainly wrapped up in South Walsham in Norfolk in a big woolly hat. Is it cold in South Walsham, Ian? No, the heating's on. I've pushed the boat out and put the heating on. <laughs> Normally it's uh, extra layers, but no, the heating's on. I've just got locked down here. And I, I, you know, I've got, it's a two hat day. I've been out in the garden doing bits and pieces. And I thought, well, you know, I'll just keep my clobber on. And I thought you guys wouldn't mind, you know, you've seen me in a much worse state, let's be honest. <laughs> you know, before we started this podcast, I came and sat down at my desk because I'm always having trouble with cold hands. I mean, oh, it is. Yeah. And I've got these gloves, which are supposed to be wonderful for cold weather, and they are, but they're no good if they get wet. Oh, um, yeah. well, I've just found myself a pair of waterproof gloves. Or should I say water resistant, probably. Uh, but then I went in to have some lunch. Do you want a tale that will amuse you? Pate and toast for lunch. Nice and easy. Get the pate out of the fridge, slice it in half, two plates. One for Graham, one for me. I do toast for him, I do toast for myself. Put it on the table. I He starts his, and then he's got his nose in, in a gardening magazine. I disappear for five minutes, not even that. Came back and the dogs had had my food off the table. <laughs> I exploded in, shall we say, purple anger. Um, thunderous purple anger and said, why on earth did you let the dog? I didn't see them, he said. And he was sitting at the table. Can you believe it? He was engrossed in that book and they were stealth-like. Yeah. That's what it was. <laughs> and I, uh, that's why I said it was a gardening book. Have you, have you, have you eaten then, did boy? You've had lunch? Yes, I've had lunch. I, had, I ended up having beef paste out of a jar because <laughs> from the sort of lockdown cupboard. <laughs> that is an image of Alan Gray that nobody had ever had in their minds before. Spam for dinner. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ian, how is 2021 treating you so far? Well, it's not bad. We're a little way in, but it's been it's been really good, actually. We've had some uh, brilliant gardening weather, to be fair. I mean, for most people, it wouldn't be good. But the only uh, sort of requirement I have for me and the crew to work is that it's dry. And that that's it, really. And we'll work in the rain. But if it's cold, doesn't matter. Cold, crisp days, beautiful. Um, and it's been great. You've been doing some quite exciting little... Um... Um, bosquets or whatever they're called. Uh, <laughs> yes, well, we have all. Um, Mr. Robeson at East Ruston uh, has been growing some. Um, oh, what are they? Wellingtonias. Yeah, Wellingtonias uh, down by the uh, Med Garden for about twenty years now. And these blocks, these blocks that are hedged with with beech. And he decided on one walk around, he'd quite like them all crown raised on all the insides to make a little sort of nice little area. So he's been crown raising all these up, clearing all the rubbish out, taking all the dead stems out and taking out all the sort of um, irrigation that's no use there anymore. And also the, um, the holly saplings as well. 
And what if we actually created? Lots and I was thinking, lots sorry, of, lots of self-seeded hollies deposited from birds, obviously. Yeah, lots. And if they'd have been a bit smaller, we would have transplanted them and moved them. The thing about transplanting hollies when they're too big is that once you've severed that tap root, and it's very difficult not to sever the tap root, it can often check them for two years, and they just sit in pots and sulk. So most of them did get. Uh, uh, sort of disposed of but we would have normally have kept them and what I actually thought is that while we we're in there I thought about my trip to Versailles and in Versailles they had all these wonderful rows of hedges and avenues and in them were these little areas little woodland areas that either had features in them of fountains or just seats and they were called bosquets or bosquets and they were for sort of cosy intimate liaisons between the sort of courtiers and people of of the court at Versailles and and I mean Alan Alan sort of had his own take on that you know but uh, mine was <laughs> mine was somewhere that'd be quite sort of romantic so with some nice bench seats in there that ground's going to get put in there be a lovely little place just to go and even just to sit out of the sun really but if you wanted a liaison in a lovely garden that'd be the place to go. I mean, it's a whole new sort of thing, isn't it? Because it's a complete mood changer because you you find your way in and you are in this miniature forest. I mean, the tree, you know, you can touch the tree trunks. The trees are way above your head. They're planted closely. So they form quite a dense canopy overhead, which is the intention to start with anyway. Um, And it's just a complete game changer. It changes the atmosphere. It changes and might even change your mind. Who knows? But it's lovely though because there's t- two new garden rooms at the gardens and I've, I've cut the hedges around there for a while and walked past them and, and trimmed them up and and I've never thought that they should be crown raised. I love crown raising stuff. I've never thought they should be crown raised and turned into new rooms but it's a fantastic idea and it's you know it's just really going to work really well and it's a lovely space because all the sound is very muffled because um, the Wellingtonians have very thick bark that's very soft and cushion-like actually absorbs all the sounds so it's such a peaceful place to be and we were we were accompanied by these wonderful um song thrushes for the both the days we were in there we had song thrushes only a couple of feet away just getting all the worms out of the debris and detritus it was a really lovely experience it really was sounds very idyllic Mm. um i think you probably had a similarly idyllic crisp morning gathering material for show and tell on this podcast when i messaged you earlier you were out and about collecting bits and bobs to to show off so what did you find on your forage this morning well i've gone mainly for foliage foliage form texture and color really because there's not as much out in flower as I'd, I'd have hoped so i'll go on to, to to foliage in a bit but the one thing that is flowering beautifully Um, is of course a plant which we all absolutely love Um, and it's a genus known as the Daphnes and this is one that Alan knows so so well it's Daphne Buloa and it's Jacqueline Possel which I think is probably in my top 10 of all-time favourite garden plants having seen it growing at Alan's by the laundry room this huge shrub growing up to must be what five probably five metres at some point it's a big shrub isn't it it's 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 big I don't know why but it grows particularly well um, I've had them in other parts of the garden. Well, you know, because you've been planting them for me, but I mean, we, we, we continually plant them. Every year we plant several and you planted two either side of the seat in the Clematis Walk. And I walked past them today. They're in full plan. It's ab- absolutely fantastic. It's a nice um, sunny spot for them there, isn't it? I think they'll quite like it, it there. I mean, out of all the garden plants that we have in, I think this one gives you probably better value than most of them do. And that's everything because it's evergreen. Um, it starts into flower probably end of, end of December, beginning of January, and it will go right the way through until April. Um, and it's just this wafting of this wonderful, wonderful scent everywhere. Um, I don't think you can have too much of it. 
No, I, I think it's wonderful. And I've always thought how nice it'd be to plant an avenue of it somewhere. I mean, I think it might be, the scent might well be too overwhelming. To have an avenue of Daphne's would just be, obviously interspersed with other things, would, would just be a fantastic thing. And they're a really wonderful group of plants and they're becoming much more readily available, the whole group of Daphne's, aren't they? They used to be as rare yeah. as hen's teeth, but now much more readily available. Well, the reason they're rare as hen's teeth is because they're very slow to propagate and they are mm. quite difficult. And I was talking to a wholesale nurseryman, Richard, who we both know the other day, and he said there are no wholesale Daphne Bula Jacqueline postels anywhere. And he said, I think they must have had, they've either, there's a disease that's developed. He doesn't know this. He's assuming this. Either a disease has happened to them or they've had propagation issues with them. But there are just none available for this year. So they are going to be even rarer, but they're, they're, they're a lovely thing. And they're also, I mean, I think Daphne Beloa itself is a great sort of uh, genus and species. And there are lots of other good forms of that as well. But I think Jacqueline Possel is the one that if you want to try Daphne's, it will give you the best reward because they, they can occasionally be a little bit miffy sometimes. And it, a lot of that depends on how the plant's been grown in the nursery and how it's been stored in the garden centre and then the sort of space you plant it in. But I think they do like a bit of shelter, like shelter from cold winds. They like a, ideally, I think a semi sort of woodland condition, maybe a woodland edge. They do like that. A soil which is relatively humusy, they, they tend to like that. And the one thing they loathe most of all is waterlogging. So make sure you have really good drainage and your organic matter and your gravel should do that. But just a wonderful shrub. And I wish you could smell it, but I know you know it smells anyway, but the, the scent is just absolutely fantastic. It really is. And, uh, but that's the only thing I've got in flower in all my various gardens I, I, um, I have in my, my folks place and here at the moment, but I have got lots of foliage and I've cut loads of different foliage at the moment. And I think for the winter months, foliage and form like this I think is, is absolutely fantastic and I've bought some things that that Alan will know really really well because I've bought some lovely hollies and, and him and Graham grow a lot of hollies at East Ruston uh, and I've got quite a few in, in mum and dad's garden as well uh, and this is a lovely holly called Madame Briot uh, which is a, a lovely lovely one obviously female got some berries on there um, she's been in the garden at my folks place for about sort of 10 years now uh, and she's planted at about two foot tall uh, and she's now probably about 10 foot tall so she's been relatively slow to go but she's got this wonderful conical shape to her she's got a beautiful form and presence in the garden one thing I should say about evergreens is it's you can go overboard on evergreens and I would say that if you want to get evergreen interest in your borders uh, for a garden throughout the season I think a third of evergreen plants is more than enough. I think any more than that, and you'll lose that seasonality. I think that's the only worry about it because as lovely as they are, you don't always get a change in season with evergreen plants, do you, Alan? That's important. So I would say a third, no, wouldn't you? I, I think there's two other things to consider with evergreens is, and one, one is that, um, I mean, our dear friend, Martin Davey, he was, he, he was in love with Viburnum tinus. I don't yes. think he is quite so much anymore because of the Viburnum beetle that, that's attacking plants today. But I mean, I tried to explain to him that Viburnum tinus, in my eyes, is a dull evergreen plant because the leaves are matte, they're dull, there's no shine to them. Mm. So if you just hold that piece of holly up again, you will see there is, whoops, <laughs> you will see that there's a shine to that leaf, which means it's glistening, it's bright and it's cheerful. It's got the silver variegation. You also had there a griselinia, which I just saw you um, pop up. And I think it's one called Bantry Bay, if I'm not wrong, um, which has um, cream variegation in the center of the leaf. 
Ah, well, that would be, is it that Holly you saw? No, no, Grisolinia. Uh, no, I haven't. I've got, um, I've got some Pittosporum. You have a look again. You've got a Grisolinia in there. <laughs> <laughs> have I? I've got some more, I've got some more Daphne. Oh, Daphne Rebecca. Yeah. Is that what you saw? No, I did see that, but I thought I saw a Grisolinia, but never mind. Um, I'm just going to say, you know, the, the, the tone of the the tone of green in an evergreen is also important. And I mean, here we've got um, a lovely variegated that what, this is what I saw. I thought that was Grisolinia um, Bantry Bay, but it's not. What is it? It's um, Ilex um, Altaclarensis Lawsoniana, which is Graham's and mine and yours favourite form of holly, I think, because it's just such a good, a good plant. Which look at the variegation on that, the variegation down the centre of the leaf. It's irregular, but look how cheerful it is. It's cheerful, it's light reflecting, it's lovely, and it's just a wonderful plant to have in the garden. And it's very much like um, Crystallinia Bantry Bay, very much the same markings, which is why you, yes. you, you would think it was that. One of the things that people should watch out for, especially on Crystallinia, and occasionally on this um, Ilex that you've just looking at, Lawsoniana there, is because sometimes they throw green branches. Mm. I've got them in the winter garden, which has got some green branches on. I must attend to it and get those green branches off because the green branches are stronger because they've got so much more chlorophyll in them and they will grow faster and overtake the, the variegation. Um, so if you want to keep your variegation variegated, get rid of your green. <laughs> I have got quite a few variegated things with me, but I think, as Alan says, you know, we talk about things being evergreen, but I do think the limes, the yellows, the creams in there are so wonderful. And this is a new holly, which I only bought this week. Uh, and it, it's an Ilex Aquaphonium. It's a sport of Alaska and it's called Golden DJ. And I can't quite work out why it's called the DJ. But I can see why it's golden, but it's lovely. It grows up to about four feet high, two feet across. I think it would probably make excellent topiary in large pots or something clipped into large orbs maybe would be fantastic because all the plants I've bought of this for a for a, for a job I'm doing are all multi-stemmed with no central leader but I think they would clip absolutely beautifully so it's female it'll bury up um, it's relatively compact wonderful spines in there you can see that really really lovely uh, and just a really joyful bright colour there and I think for people that have got smaller gardens as well smaller spaces I always encourage this with clients I've got is that to add a, a colour to your fence um, and I think if you want to add fence colours then all the dark browns are fine and I've got mine that are really really dark brown because that's what they were when I got here and it'd be difficult to change them but but blacks and greys are wonderful and these sorts of yellows and limes and greens look absolutely amazing against oh yeah look against black you know you put it there nothing put it against black navy blue absolutely sorry navy blue well they are black but it probably looks navy blue in the light but it really shows them up uh, shows them up really 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 well so there are some some hollies which i've bought which i think are absolutely absolutely wonderful and alan did spot this other lovely variegated plant which is mr gray it's daphne and it's, it's daphne oreo marginata rebecca another fantastic member of that daphne family exceptionally vigorous i missed a word out in it's daphne something Mm. Daph no, 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 Daphne, you're Daphne right, Laura. Daphne. 
Daphne Eldora, Rebecca. Yeah, yeah. I, I say the Eldora, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's a lovely, lovely thing. And it, it's been growing in quite a shady spot at mum and dad's garden for about five years now that I planted. Small plant, gone in five years, about sort of two and a half feet high, two feet across. And it's absolutely packed with um, flowers to come out on it. But I mainly bought it because, you know, I fell in love with this, with this variegation. Now, I know Matthew Potage loves his variegated plants and more and more... I'm getting into them. And I think I was first introduced to variegated plants with things like uh, with Gila Florida variegata and that always burnt in the summer. But there are some cracking golden variegated things. And what I'm finding now more and more is having thought that variegated plants were weaker is that often it's not always the case. Although they can sport sometimes, we think about Daphne's like Daphne Odora or Reimaginata it's a sport of straight Daphne Odora but it's so much more vigorous so much more stronger and this Rebecca which I think was most probably a sport from Daphne Odora or Reimaginata probably is even more vigorous again and I just love that cream colour you get on there and I think this would be equally at home in a pot as well you have it by the the front door in, in a pot but I think Daphne's need to be put somewhere where they're either by a bench or you walk past them regularly or you just get to enjoy that scent but isn't that fantastic Fantastic. I mean, look at that colour on there. It's absolutely wonderful, isn't it? I, think, I agree with you. I think it's one of those plants that really deserves almost woodland conditions again, so, so semi-shade. Mm. It doesn't like too much hot sun on it. Um, and I'm just thinking my front door faces north. I maybe should squeeze one in somewhere. Oh, that'd be, yeah, that'd be lovely around there. I have, I really one. Would. I have one, only one to go in a, in, in a pot to go in the garden. And I think that's where I shall put it. Yeah, good idea, good idea. Um, I have bought, actually found something else that was flowering, which uh, we are moving into hellebore season. So I thought I'd put it quite close because you get a really good view if it's close against the camera. That's lovely. And this is a form of um, Helleborus cross hybridus, sometimes called Helleborus orientalis. And I've not seen this about recently. I'm not sure why, but I bought this about five or six years ago. And it's a series called Stained Glass. And, and you can really see why it's got that. So double beautiful, almost sort of Picatee flowers there, where you've got that wonderful dark contrasting edge that gently bleeds into the center. And of course, as we know with hellebores, um, these are actually uh, sepals or sometimes classed as tepals. They're not actually true petals at all, but they are the mainstay show of the plant. And, and unfortunately they won't cut well as stems, but what I will do with this one is I'll just float it in a, in a cup of water just to enjoy it until it's, it's finished. But I think once again, brilliant brilliant garden plants and something which really we relish this time of year really relish these sorts of blooms and this is this is actually it's actually quite early but um it's flowering away well and it's in a, a semi sort of semi shaded spot um it gets mulched once a year i mean we, we try and mulch all the borders at, at mum and dad's once a year with lots of homemade compost if we can but really, there's not a lot that hellebores suffer from. They can get black death, which is something which we are seeing a bit more where they get black veinage to them. They would occasionally get aphids, but very, very rarely. But the one thing they do get is a fungal leaf spot, don't they, Alan? And that's why a good Christmas job is to tidy them up. In, the, in this garden, too, in a couple of places, I've noticed that when I've chopped the leaves back, they actually get the soft emergent buds get eaten by voles. Yes, I've noticed that in your thalictrum garden, I was clearing through there, and I think next year I need to clear the foliage off them much, much earlier, maybe in the autumn, because yeah, I think it's a fact those big leathery leaves are there, they make a beautiful umbrella and a beautiful spot yeah. for them just to sit and, and eat. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, nobody's got the heart to kill a vole because they're such pretty little creatures mm. and you wouldn't want to. 
Um, and so I think we probably just have to turn a blind eye to that part of the garden when we're, we're looking at hellebores and go somewhere else and, mm. and see. We've got plenty mm. of them. I'm really lucky, actually. I, uh, I've suddenly remembered that when I first got into hellebores and spent <clears throat> quite a lot of money buying plants, which is still living in my mum's garden, that you may remember me being heartbroken the following year when they all sulked and they resented the fact that they'd been put in the garden and they, they all refused to flower for a year. They sort of bid their time and then they flowered the next year. I've suddenly remembered that because anything, any hellebore I've planted in my current garden has actually um, been very generous and given me flowers immediately. So I'm currently, you know, enjoying my first hellebores in, uh, in my new garden. And I, you've suddenly made me remember how lucky I am because they can be a bit resentful of that kind of transplanting well, they, rent, they, they, they actually resent root disturbance at any time. Um, and the RHS always tells us that the best time to move hellebores, if you've got to move them in, the, uh, in open ground, is to do it in August. And the reason for, I mean, it seems crazy because it's high summer and all the rest of it. But in, if you move them in August, they then have time before the winter sets in to actually make some root growth. And it's that root growth, that, that new root growth they need to make to carry them through to lessen the upheaval. I mean, there's so, there's so many good different sort of strains and collections of them as well. I mean, there's, there's, there's a whole vast array that will take woodland conditions and lots of good strains of things like Argutifolius, uh, forms of those, and Niger, which tend to like a more sort of sunny, open, free-draining spot. So I just think they're great and well worth looking out for. And, and there's some really good foliage coming through on them as well. There's the Rodney Davy Marble Group, which is a, yeah. I know, an, an odd name, but lovely ones, which have, there'll be forms of things like Penny's Pink and Anna's Red, which will actually still have good flowers on them easily into May or June. But it's also their foliage, which are those large parme leaves that they have, which are a dark green with those wonderful white silver veins running through them. They just look absolutely fantastic. They really are. Um, so I've also bought um, another good shrub with me. And this is um, a lovely exotic plant, which I've had growing for about five or 10 years now. But when I first saw it growing at um, East Ruston Old Vicarage, probably about 20 years ago, I really, when I was a visitor, before I sort of started helping out, it, I was in awe of it, in awe of it. And it's a shrub called Trochodendron areloides, and it's the pinwheel tree. And I just think, you know, form and foliage and, and that sort of shape is absolutely wonderful. And, and what mine does through the winter, I don't know if you can see it really very well, is that it takes on those wonderful purple burgundy tints to the foliage. You can just sort of see it there. There we are, it's yeah. lovely. And it's not a leaf spot, it is what it does because it's growing exceptionally well. It just takes on these wonderful burgundy blotches. And you can see it's got, you see its name, the pinwheel tree, but it's lovely. <laughs> Slow growing, uh, but for me, mine's growing in a north facing border and it's because where I saw it at Allen's was in the north garden. And it, it's just in terms of form, I think it's very exciting. It produces flowers, which are sort of a bit like fatsia, a bit like ivy, that sort of, you know, that, that family. Um, and then it gets lovely fresh green growth on it in the spring and it just has such an interesting form and habit perfectly hardy and and I think Al, it's got a real exotic feel to it hasn't it a real it sort does, of lush almost tropical does. look it does have a it does have a tropical look look to it and it is a lovely thing it, and it has I mean I, I just love the flowers on it as well I mean they're lots of people probably wouldn't see them because they're green but but I mean to me they're exciting <laughs> just shows how old we are as gardeners <laughs> Like I, I love that I really want that that looks amazing it's a lovely thing and it'll take hard pruning as well won't it if we've hard pruned one of yours and you know it'll come back well so what what final bits of show and tell do you have Mr Roof 
Okay, so I thought, well, I've gone with um, evergreens, foliage plants, and I thought I'd end on a couple of conifers, if that's okay, just because I think they're brilliant plants, I've said before in, in previous things, but, but two good forms here. Uh, I've talked about Cryptomeria before, and this is Cryptomeria japonica uh, aurea, and one that most people will know is Cryptomeria japonica elegans, which has that wonderful soft foliage, um, elegans tends to go lovely sort of rich purples and burgundies for the winter but aurea stays that wonderful gold right the way through the year has a fantastic conical habit doesn't get too dumpy anything up to oh, probably about sort of four meters potentially over time but it's relatively slow growing full sun part shade uh, a really good subject for giving you a a good block of golden yellow and lime in the border. So really, really lovely thing. And I know that people are screaming, going, no, we don't want to hear about conifers, but you know, they are still very good plants. I have one thing to say to those people who are screaming, I don't want to hear about conifers. And that is, you will. <laughs> because, I mean, I do think that the, 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 the conifers are in for a little bit of a revival in actual fact because there are so many out there that are interesting um and you know it's, i mean if you think if you start with the most ubiquitous one it's got to be lalandii we've, we've seen hedges of it planted we've seen hedges of it growing we've seen hedges of it dying we continually get asked about you know what's killing my my hedge and basically it's because it's being cut the whole time and it doesn't like it it was it's a tree I mean it's a vast growing tree and doesn't like being cut all the time and that's basically what's wrong with it um but I think that if you're going to grow conifers you know seek out some of the more unusual ones like Ian has got here and the one that you mentioned which is the bronze version of this I bought from you probably about 10 years ago as a tiny little thing mm. um and I can't remember I mean it, it was fiendishly expensive no it wasn't <laughs> rude rude <laughs> No, it wasn't expensive at all, but I mean, I do remember, and, and, and I planted it on the corner of the bee board uh, opposite the alpacas, and I went past it this morning, and I have to say, every time you go past these things, when they change colour in the winter, it's like the, the pines, you know, the, the pine that changes from green, from the summer green to winter gold, it, they're just so cheerful and so lovely. You've been very good at East Rust and embracing, and you've always grown conifers, but you did embrace growing some wonderful Pisces up in the Thalictrum Garden, and I... Yeah. I was vague and I got you a whole selection. You said, let's give it a go. And I was really keen for to try and you really embraced it, which is which yeah. is great. And they look wonderful up there. There's Picea, one called Edith, which has the most wonderful glaucous blue needles on it. And it's got ornamental grasses around it. At the back is a wonderful aster called Orpheus, which normally grows. And at the moment it's around it, it's surrounded by um, wonderful snowdrops that are up, um, Galanthus Godfrey Owen, which is up round there. And it'll be awash with tulips around it, bright orange tulips, I think, has gone around there. So very versatile things. There's another lovely one you've got, which is the cashmere cypress that grows oh, in between the house and the office. Yeah. Is that the one? Yes, it's cashmereana. Um, oh, I've it's got two lovely. sorts. I mean, I bought, I bought one... Um, Oh, 30 years ago, probably from Burnkus in Southdown. And then um, I saw one advertised as being the true Kashmiriana, which is, according to other people, I mean, nurserymen differ. They probably want to sell their product. So I bought one of those. Um, but Kashmiriana cypress was grown by people in orangeries and cold conservatories and cold glass houses years ago because it wasn't deemed hardy enough to stand the English country, the English temperature. 
the winter temperatures in our gardens. And so, um, yeah, uh, it was, um, but I mean, I, I, mine got too big. I had it in, the, in, a, in a pot in the greenhouse. It got too big and I thought, well, I'll try it outside. I've done it now two or three times with this same particular plant, not that one, three different plants. And each one of them is still alive and still perfectly happy and growing wonderfully well. So perhaps it was a little bit rather over cosseted maybe. It's a lovely, lovely idea. And another one you've got, which is Chamisso Paris, Lawsoniana, Imbricata pendula. Yes. That just, yep. just drips like it's raining. It grows up in the winter garden and it's yes. just the most spectacular thing with, with threads, threads of, of foliage <laughs> on it. It's just lovely. It's, it's very strange, you see. I've noticed that on that, fairly high up, there's a branch that's reverted. So that, yeah, so that's got to come out. Okay. I, only saw it, I only saw it a couple of days ago. Um, I was sort of working up there this morning, pulling out some brambles and, well, I was digging them out, actually, because unless you dig them out, you leave a, um, a bud behind and the thing regrows again. Sorry, mm. go ahead. No, no, no. And it's, it's one last con, if it's one more cryptomeria, it's Cryptomeria japonica sekansugi which um, is another one of, I, I do love the cryptomeres because they're, they're very soft and they have wonderful habits to them. And, and you've got this wonderful sort of mid green leaf and all the ends are tipped with this wonderful sort of creamy gold foliage. And it, it's been in mum and dad's for all 10 years again. And it's about sort of two meters in height, really well behaved, beautiful form, lovely, lovely habit to it. Uh, and, and, and seems to be very, very tough. And this year is the first year it's going to flower as well. Now, those flowers won't be anything major to write home about, but if they do colour up that wonderful sort of soft pinky mauve that often flowers do on conifers, that as a contrast, this lovely soft yellow and green, I think will be great. So definitely one to look out for. Not a, not a, a big grower, but if you want some evergreen architectural form and habit in your borders, this is really one to go for. Cryptomeria Sekansugi. I think you can tell from the name itself that, that um, lots of these um, new conifers are emanating from uh, the Japanese people because mm. um, that they are much, much more um, keen on conifers perhaps than we are at the moment. But they will come and they will be popular. Well, especially when people That's clap eyes on them. I mean, that cryptomeria yeah. uh, near your alpacas, um, I have fallen in love with that before. And now having been reminded in your show and tell, Ian, I just want all of them and my garden is too small. So <laughs> I've just got to add them to the wish list and, uh, and hope for a bigger <laughs> garden in future. Now, unusually on this podcast, not only does our guest have show and tell, but Alan, having spent the morning in the garden, has brought some show and tell to the table as well. Brilliant, brilliant, come on. Well, I have, but I mean, it was just a little trip through the greenhouses, you see, um, and this is what took my eye. And I, um, I suddenly realised that everything in this little little um, bouquet here, if nice. you like, yeah. is golden with a touch of whiff of lavender. <laughs> <laughs> And that was not intentional, but I mean, <laughs> it's just what happened. And so I'll take you through it very quickly because um, Ian's done foliage, so I'll leave my foliage to the end, but a couple of salvias. Um, this is a very tall growing salvia. It's a variety called Waverly. Oh, and um, it was very kindly donated to me by Sally and Don. Um, and they had it growing outside the, their bedroom window and it was completely covering the window. So they live in a bungalow, by the way, so <laughs> you think it's a giant plant. But I mean, it got to about two, two, three metres tall. Um, absolutely stunning and just kept flowering and flowering the whole summer, which I thought was rather nice. So now I've got that. And this is another salvia and you can see it's very similar to Waverley. And this is salvia in volucrata. 
um, and it's known as the chenille sage. I don't know whether you can see that, oh, but lovely, yeah. the, the actual flowers and the buds are coated with this kind of sort of fluffy material, much like the fabric chenille. It's a bit like a long, long piled velvet. And then to go with that, I've got a couple of busy lizzies. And these are both varieties of, of Impatien sardinii. This one, which has lovely mauve flowers, and this one, which has crimson spots in the center of the mauve flower. And these are great for flowering in the winter. They're big plants. They grow to about um, a meter and a half, I suppose, in, in a pot. So you need a big area to keep them in. Can you, oh, there's yeah. the color. You can see it now. Yeah, lovely. Um, and, they, but, and they're fairly shy flowering. They're not, they don't cover themselves with bloom like a highly bred plant. Um, and then this little dahlia was flowering too, which again is, is um, there you are. It's got a white rim around the orange middle and pale lilac petals. Is it in out. a large pot, Al? Is it in a large pot by the water tank? It is, yes. It's the, it's the one, well, no, but it's this one that I was supposed to get rid of and I didn't have the heart to do it and I'm glad I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's flowered. Now, whether it will ever flower outside in our English summers, I don't know. The one way, thank you very much. Thank you, Graham, he's bringing me a cup of tea. Isn't that nice? Um, <laughs> The one thing I think I'm going to try is growing it in the pot and growing it until probably August in that pot under glass, see if we can get it forward enough and then put it outside and hope that it will flower. Um, I don't know whether the coolness of the nights in late August will in induce its flowering. I hope it will. And we have good old granny's um, ivy leaf pelagonium again, lovely flowers. Just to tell you that if you've got ivy leaf or any pelagoniums flowering, and you want to get rid of the flowers to cut, cut them back to rejuvenate your plants, keep the flowers and put them in a vase inside. They'll last three weeks. They're absolutely wonderful. They make wonderful cut flowers. And the other two bits of foliage I have is a giant. Um, the first one is oh. a canthus mollis, which is Hollard's gold, which I think lovely. is absolutely lovely. I yeah. mean, if you've got a canthus, if you're going to plant the canthus, be absolutely sure that you want it because they're, they are the most difficult things to get rid of once they're in the ground. But Hollard's Gold has this lovely, this is a quite a limey green leaf because it gets uh, only half a day sunshine. And this is that lovely little arum called Miss Janie Hall. And Ian knew the name of this. I didn't know that, I'd forgotten the name of it, but he came to my rescue and that's Miss Janie Hall. And it reminds me always of Beth Chateau because when Beth Chateau, well, before she started her famous garden at uh, White Barn in near Colchester in Essex, she was a flower demonstrator. In other words, she used to arrange flowers. And one of the things that she always used was the leaves of Virginia's and Aerometallicum pictum. Well, that's another Aerum, which probably wasn't around in her day when she was doing that. But I mean, just see that on the woodland floor with, with ferns. This one is growing next to a heart's tongue fern and it's just so lovely. They're both, both so such welcome delights in the middle of winter, I think. Oh, I'm glad you brought show and tell. We'll have more yeah, so in the future. Um, <laughs> I didn't know we were doing show and tell. So I'm only gonna show and tell things I can reach which is <laughs> my, um, I've never actually, I've had, I've been given forced hyacinths before, but I've oh, never, nice. I've never actually um, done it. And I forgot, I bought them and I forgot about them. So I'm a little bit late uh, in that I've only just got a flower bud, but um, I've also got no hyacinth forcing um, vases. So I've just been using old jam jars and I have a tendency to buy relatively attractive jam jars. 
Um, so yeah, I've got them kind of scattered around and I'm just experimenting. I can't even- I think that's a lovely idea, Thunder, because what I've seen this year on sort of Twitter and Instagram a lot is people doing wonderful collections of sort of winter flowering plants and say bowls of, of hyacinths and, you know, people bringing in vases of cut foliage. And that's been really nice to see these sort of, Alan would call them like a sort of winter tableau, but all those sort of lovely little bits that are doing their thing, you know, hooped jasmines and things like that. And, and that's just part of that. People have really embraced it, this sort of during this festive and winter period. I think it's a lovely idea to sort of have those sort of things in now, real good splash of interest and colour. It's also just amazing watching the roots go down. I, just almost every day there seem to be more roots. It's, um, it's phenomenal. And my other bit of show and tell is I was given this um, as, as a sort of someone didn't want it anymore. Oh, nice. The Houseplant Book by Cynthia Wickham. I don't, I don't know. I think it was gifted as a present in the 80s. I don't know what its publication date is. But I've just been having a lot of fun um, reading about the plants I already have that I actually don't know much about and I have no idea you know whether this is something other people have on their shelves but it's just nice to have a new gardening book to look through. It, 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 those sort of things are always a source of inspiration I was just going to say that if um, I know that you've had um, paper white narcissus I thought, I thought oh, it, haven't you? Yes that's a good one. Um, and if people haven't got round or they didn't think to grow early flowering narcissus to have the scent and the and you know, the flowers in their houses. If you go onto the, um, and look at in-season flowers, you can get them sent from S the Silly Isles in proper little boxes, no plastic involved, in proper little paper boxes, you can get them, they're grown by small farms on the Silly Isles, and you can get them sent to you in bud as they would be sent out to the florists at this time of the year. And all you do is you chop the ends off, put them in a, in a, in a vase and they'll open within about three days. Um, and I just think that's a, a, just a lovely thing to have. The scent is so blissful. Yeah. It's lovely, isn't it? A lot of them will be forms of um, Narcissus tazetta, won't they, as well, mm. and in various forms. But they are they are absolutely brilliant. And Thunder, can I say, your, your hyacinth looks really good, but uh, a top tip for you for next time is that when you've put it in your jam jar, if you put one, just one or two drops of household bleach in, it won't affect the hyacinth growing and it'll keep your water crystal clear around your hyacinth roots. Because that's what we used to do at the garden centre, just two drops of bleach, that's all you want, and it will keep them absolutely perfect. Because it looks really lovely, but Sometimes people are like, why does the water keep going green and the algae builds up? So top tip for next year. Right. I feel some FLOMO coming on um, after all of those amazing show and tell plants. And this is something I'd like to grow from seed next year, though I don't actually know anything about it. Mirandia, whiz I'm never going to be able to say it, Wislazensis, Red Dragon. That's not difficult to grow from seed in actual fact. I mean, they're, they're sort of trailers, they're floppy, some scandard plants. Um, and you can, if you've got, if you're patient enough, you can sort of help them to grow through other plants and they'll scramble up through other plants. They, the flowers look a bit like an open faced snapdragon in a way, or a foxglove. Oh. Glove. Um, and they're, they're fairly easy to grow from seed. I don't see why that you don't be put off. It, it's not, not difficult. Yeah, just because I, yeah, yeah. I've not tried it before, which is why I wanted to try it. And I like scramblers. I like things that can kind of clamber through other plants. A weaver. <laughs> exactly. So uh, that's what caught my attention when I was reading through the, the seed. I've catalog. never heard of that. It sounds lovely, but I wonder if it, is it, was it, was it something, was that particular strain from Wisley? Because it's cultivar is well, Wislensis, is that? I wondered, it didn't say, but I'm assuming it came ah. from there, which is also interesting. Nice, um, yeah, that means it'll be good. But it also said, you know, you grow it from seed and it makes tubers, which you can then store 
you know, for future years. That just sounded interesting mm-hmm. on every level. Yeah. So I thought I'd give it a go. Uh, so nice that's idea. my Flomo. Ian Roof, what's yours? Mine's quite seasonal. It's only something that I was uh, sort of stumbled across. I was looking through some old gardening books uh, this last week. And it was a combination for the winter. And it was pollarded Salix alba britzensis, um, underplanted with groups of Astelia chathamica, silver spear, um, Santalina lemon fizz and uh, black grasses. And um, I think it must have been a book by John Brooks or something, because John Brooks was sort of quite well known for doing. He was very much form over over flower. Flowers was an added bonus for him. And I think that's where it must have been. But I thought, actually, in probably a book that was written maybe 20, maybe 30 years ago, that's a rather exciting combination of plants, you know, pollarded willows big clumps of silver astelia running its way through quite rhythmically and then orbs of um, golden yellow santalina and then tussocks of black grasses and I thought oh for a winter scheme that is absolutely wonderful and I'm always very much in the moment I thought really exciting sorry I'll go on all you need to add to that are some of your nice conifers well actually it's true that'd be a real lovely ensemble wouldn't it be really Really mm. good. But I thought, you know, and how good in a book that was, I say, 30 years old, that for me yeah. would still be a very exciting, relevant John had some very, very innovative ideas. And I mean, he won lots of gold medals at the Chelsea Flower Show. I had to interview him for a television programme once. And I mean, he was notoriously um, grumpy, shall we say. <laughs> 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 he was incredibly grumpy. Um, and I was very sort of um, nervous about interviewing him and I wondered how I was going to deal with him, you see, but I got round it by starting off and uh, my interview like this and, and introducing John. And I said, you know, John, one often feels that you have never been properly, properly regarded for the work that you've done in uh, for your horticulture and your, your gardening. Um, I think you deserve much greater recognition than you've ever had. Well, he was putty in my hand. Yeah, very good. <laughs> you <drama. laughs> The off-putting thing was that he had a pug dog that kept snorting. At least I think it was snorting. Yes. Boom. <laughs> oh, from snorting pugs to Alan Gray's Flomo. What have you picked out? For well, my Flomo, my Flomo is this. Oh. <laughs> this is um, the latest catalogue from Broadley Gardens down in nice. Somerset, and uh, it's Lady Scalmsdale. Um, and I've known Christine for many, many years and, and she's been to the garden here. And I have to say that she's a, a connoisseur of plants and she has some very good plants, often in, in some short and some small numbers. I mean, she's got some lovely um, Iris unguicularis, the um, Algerian Iris, which is flowering now in the depths of winter. Um, and I mean, you could get me anything from this catalogue and I would love it. But I have to say that um, she's a huge collection of Agapanthus. Lots of new varieties, which I'm going to try. Um, some lovely iris, in particular iris that like damp soil. Um, and I think we're going to go with the damp soil around the... Um, Ian knows what I'm talking about. We had a bed... Well, let me just tell you, we had a bed around the rose garden. It's had two hedges in this bed around the central pond in the rose garden, the basin at the, in the middle, um, neither of which were a success. And so the other day, we had the whole lot out. So we've got four beds, four L-shaped beds around the edge of this pond. And there's four viewing um, points to look into the pond as well. The pond is home to a huge amount of, of newts in actual fact. I don't put any fish in there at all. It's just left to the newts. And occasionally we get toads in there as well. Um, so 
but the pond leaks. It's not um, a, a dreadful leak, but it's, it leaks enough to keep the soil around it very, very moist. Um, and so I'm going to go with it. And I'm going to actually plant uh, moisture-loving plants in there. And I want some, uh, on the corners, I saw, saw some rather lovely Iris spuria, S-P-U-R-A-A, which loves a damp position. And I've got some, um, a lovely, <laughs> a lovely Iris that Sally and Don gave me, which gave, who gave me the salvia. Um, and it's called Black Gamecock. And it's... <laughs> But it loves moisture and I've, I've been growing it in pots in a tray of water the whole time. So it has a reservoir um, underneath the pots to keep them moist. And I'm going to put those, those in there. And, and you know, the, the way, you know, the way I'm thinking in, you know, we'll have this conversation over the next few weeks. And you, you know what else you could put in there. You know what else, you know, yeah, you know. That's an exciting mix. Yeah. Yes. Suddenly we'll get this um, the whole thing going where it would be an exciting and a different range of plants because at East Ruston, our water table is very, very low. Um, our soil is free draining and it's a sandy loam. So we don't really have anywhere that we can grow moisture lovers. So I know that's only four small beds, but we'll make, we'll do it with panache, I hope. <laughs> Another plant that we grow quite a lot of at East Ruston, as you know, Ian, is dioramas. Um, and they seed around fantastically. And in this catalogue, broadly bulbs, there are all these different varieties. Can you see them? I mean, there's quite a, quite a number of them. Um, yeah, from tall nice. ones to short ones to pale ones to dark ones, uh, different season of bloom and all the rest of it. So, I mean, they really are um, lovely plants to have. Um, and again, that's where we get the four beds around the, the central <coughs> the central pond. I mean, how lovely to have them coming up and waving over the pond and you'll get reflection in the water. So you get two for the price of one. Beautiful. <laughs> Sounds grand. And apt to have angels fishing rods next to a pond. Yes, well, how apt? Yes, indeed. I mean, what, what are they? Well, they're a, a cormus perennial. They have cormus underneath the ground. Um, they don't like root disturbance, but they, they're very easy to grow from seed. You can save your own seed. And within two to three years, you've got flowering plants. If you've got lots of different varieties, they will readily cross and you'll, you may get a special one, but you may get just more of the same. But whatever you get, they will be absolutely lovely. And I, I think they are wonderful plants to have near water. They don't necessarily want to have their feet in water. They don't need to. And they don't need good soil because the soil at the base of our um, rose garden or sunk garden is in actual fact subsoil and they grow in that quite happily. Well, it's been an absolute riot of wonderful plants from your show and tell to your flomos to a whole load of other things that came up as little tangents along the way. What a wonderful way to spend a podcast. Thank you, Ian, for coming along again. It's been great. Thank you, guys. Always <laughs> enjoy it. <laughs> Happy gardening. Bye. Happy gardening, everybody. Hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. Hey.